following audio is from Connection Church, located in Brownstown, Michigan, a place where you can connect, worship, and serve. For more information about Connection, go to cconline.church. comes from the Gospel of uh, Matthew, uh, verses 43 through 48. If you have a, a physical Bible with you, if you have a phone, feel free to, to pull that out. We'll be coming back to that during the sermon as well. Feel free to follow along with that if you have it. Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. Jesus says this, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. So we are continuing in our uh, message series uh, that we began a few weeks ago entitled, Why Christian? And really the big idea of this series is that we, we look at some of the reasons uh, why people are Christians and why it makes sense to be a Christian in our modern world. And if you've been with us, uh, you remember the first week we talked about the, the unique grace that is offered to us in Christianity that, that only Jesus offers There's no other religion or ideology like it that offers this incredible grace. And then last week, last week we talked about the the hope and the meaning that we are given to us by a God who is outside of us. And this hope and this meaning can even endure uh, suffering and, and circumstance changes and it can weather the storms of this life. And this week we are we are looking at another reason for Christianity, and that reason is this. That Christianity offers and calls for a radical and extravagant love and kindness toward others. Christianity offers and calls for an extravagant love and kindness toward others. Now, I, I think this is an important thing for us to talk about because if we were to look around at our culture, at our world, and you kind of took a pulse on like what is like the ethical like standard of our world, like what's the, the ethic that most people here in, in 21st century America can live by? Like what do we as a society say, this is, this is what it means to be good? And I think most of us, I don't think many people would argue, I think most of us would say that the golden rule is kind of an overarching like, hey, this is a way that like our society should work. Most people can get on board with the golden rule. And I think most of us know what the golden rule is. Treat others as you would want to be treated. Do unto others as you would want them to do to you. There's different variations of it. And Jesus even says it. He says a variation of the golden rule. We didn't read it in this particular passage, but he says it in in the Gospel of Luke. And, And that's where a lot of people pick up that phrase. But actually, believe it or not, Jesus was not the first person to say that. Jesus was not the first person to say, do unto others as you would want them to do unto you. That had been around in other religions and other cultures and other ideologies, and it's still with us today in 21st century America. It might not, it still gets phrased that way, but I know there's modern versions of it. The one I heard recently that I think kind of encapsulated is like, hey, our like life philosophy should be, don't be a jerk. 
Like, and I'm sure that you have heard other like variations of the golden rule uh, in our day as well, and it's a good thing for us to strive for. That's kind of the ethic of our world. But, but I want to point this out, that there's some problems with kind of just having this general ethic that we say to one another and we say as a culture. And, and I think the problems are this, that it's just way too vague and it doesn't get specific enough. It just says, listen, just do unto others how you would want to do unto your, uh, unto, uh, you would want them to do to you. And we just leave it at that. Well, hold on. If you actually look at how people live, if you look at how me and you live, if you look at how our culture and society lives, do we actually live that way? I, I would argue no, we don't. Because if you watch human nature long enough, if you look at the people around you, if you look at yourself long enough, you realize this, we all draw a line in the sand somewhere. We all draw that figurative line in the sand somewhere. Here's what I mean. Uh, A few years ago, uh, there was a woman, uh, Justine Sacco. Some of you may remember this story as I'm telling it. Justine Sacco, uh, she was a PR kind of exec for a company, and she was going on a trip Uh, to Africa. She was here in America. She was going on a plane to Africa. And she uh, tweeted out uh, a really obscene, like, comment. Like, it is just awful. It's so bad, I'm not even going to repeat it. Just know, like, as bad as you can imagine, it's worse. Like, it's just that bad. Offensive, racist, all of it. So she tweets it out, and she's on her plane, so she shuts it off, and then she just goes over to Africa, which is like a half-day flight, if maybe even more. While she's on the plane, disconnected from the world below her, the tweet blows up, and it just goes viral. And people start sharing it and and retweeting it and commenting on it again and again, and it built up so much momentum while she was still on the plane that before she landed, uh, she had been fired from her job. Uh, The hotels in the area where she was going to go they collectively all said, hey, you can't stay here. We're not going to allow you to stay here. We're going to say, no, you can't do that. Her family was, was reached for comment, and her family very much was like, listen, we, we're very disappointed in what Justine has done, and they essentially distant. this is not how our family acts. And so before she even landed, her whole life is now upended and, and thrown into disorder. Now, I, I want to say this. In no way am I justifying what she said. But I think we need to be honest and look at this and be like, listen, there's a line in the sand there. The golden rule just went out the window. Do unto others how you want to be done unto yourself. And the way that we responded as a culture to Justine was, listen, we're going to tear you down. We're going to destroy your life because you crossed the line. The, the, the guy who actually got it kicked off, who m- helped make it viral, he was interviewed by the New York Times uh, shortly after that, and he, he was quoted as saying this, uh, it was incredibly satisfying to be able to do that. Now, I don't wake up hoping to get someone fired and destroy their life, but I'd do it again. Here's my point. We all have a line in the sand. And we may hear this story and we may say, like, listen, that, that's not me. I wouldn't do what, what we did as, like, a culture, that mob mentality. Like, me as an individual, I wouldn't do that. And I would say this, that none of us are exempt. That if we're to honestly look at our hearts and look at our actions and look at our life, we all do that 
Now, we may not do it in the sense of trying to attack someone and tear down their life and do it on the offensive, but how often do you have the coworker who, who really knows how to push your buttons, and you may not actively do anything against them, but how often do you withhold opportunities for goodness? How often do you withhold some, some opportunity you have to, to speak well of them or do something for them? How often do you withhold kindness and generosity from them? Maybe it's a family member. Just because we're family doesn't mean we have to like one another. And sometimes our family members uh, get on our nerves and they do something that hurts us very deeply. And how often do we say, you know what, there's the line in the sand and you crossed it. And I'm withholding my kindness, my graciousness, my generosity from you. You see, we all have that line in the sand. And, and what we're doing when we do that is we're categorizing people. These are the people that are worthy of my, my kindness, of my love, of my time. These are the people that are worthy of it. And these people, when you've crossed this line, they're unworthy of it. They're not worthy of, of my kindness. They're not worthy of my, my sense of dignity to be given to them. They are unworthy. Like I said, that golden rule gets thrown out the window. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus. Uh, the scripture that we, that we read was from Matthew chapter 5, which is a, a portion of a longer sermon that Jesus gave called the Sermon on the Mount. It's his longest recorded sermon. It's one of the most important and most influential sermons ever given. And Jesus gets really practical in this sermon. And this section that we read earlier is perhaps one of his strongest worded, uh, perhaps most convicting sections of that sermon that he gave. And in it, he offers us a different way. He offers us as his people a different ethic to live by. He offers us a different way to live in this world that is so different than the world around us. That is what he offers to us. And it only takes Jesus like four sentences. And that's how great of a teacher he was. It took him four sentences just to say something so rich and so deep that just blows everybody's mind. That's all it took for him. And, and what I want to do with the, the time we have this morning is simply listen to Jesus. That's a, that's a crazy concept, right? You come to church and let's listen to Jesus. But but I, like, let's just listen to his words and let it hit us. You know, if you've been a Christian, if you've been in church for a while, it's easy to, to skim past uh, and just kind of let Jesus' words go in one ear, out the other, and miss the weight of what he's saying. And my invitation to you is for us to kind of pause and to take this bit by bit and to realize, man, what is Jesus saying? Because it'll change your life. So let's dig in. So again, if you have your phone with you, feel free to pull out. If you have your physical Bible, feel free to follow along with us. Well, Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 43. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So in this one, in these two verses, Jesus begins, he says, Listen, you have heard it said, which is a teaching technique that he had in his day. And really what he's doing is this. He's saying, when he says, you have heard that it was said, he's like, listen, I'm about to blow your minds. <laughs> what he's doing is he's highlighting a current cultural norm. He's saying, listen, we all know this to be true. This is how the world works, is how they say. 
And he says, listen, you've heard it said, in other words, this is how our world works. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And I think if we look at our current day today, I think that's how most of us live. That's kind of a good ethic that most of the times we say, like, yeah, that's a good way to live. And in his day, it was no different. Love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Love those who who you like, who have done good to you, take care of them, but people who have hurt you, who have wronged you, those enemies of your life, you know what? You can hate them. But what does he say? He then says this, but I say to you. In other words, he's introducing a new ethic, a new way to live. He says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he says, listen, this is how the world works. And it's like, no. The world works in these categories of worthy, unworthy, those who you give love to, those who you withhold love and care and and kindness from. But here's how I work. Here's how I roll. And here's how you will roll. There's no categories. There's there's no distinction between people who are worthy and people who are unworthy of love. There's just people. There's people, and you were called to, to love and care for and give kindness to even those who don't give it to you. Even those who deserve it the least. Jesus says, the way I roll and the way you roll is you give them love. You give them what they don't deserve. That's how we live, and that's what Jesus calls for. And this call, this, this call for love of enemy, this is unique. This was never heard of before Jesus. We know of it now because it's been in our culture for a while, but this never was said before Jesus. This was something that was so just absurd to the people of his day, and it still is absurd to us today. This isn't like the way to live a good life. This will cost you something. This will hurt to do this. And yet Jesus says, this is the way that that I'm living, and this is how I'm calling you as my follower to live. Jesus continues, verse 45, first half. He then says, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. So Jesus gives the the way to live of loving your enemy, even those who don't deserve it, who have harmed you. And then he goes into the effect that it will have in the people around you. He goes into the effect. It's the, the, what you do and then what's the effect that's going to happen when you live this way. And the effect is this, that, that people are going to see you and they're going to say, you know what, that's a, that's a son, that's a daughter of God. That, that's what he says the effect will be. You will be noticed. <laughs> when you live this way because it's so out of this world it's so different it's so unique other people will notice because again from a human perspective this doesn't make logical sense you don't get anything from this person they have hurt you they have annoyed you to no end it only makes sense to to cast them out and to withhold your blessing from them. But if you go and you, you start giving blessing away, you start giving kindness to people who don't deserve it, the people around you will notice. Think about like in your, in your workplace or your family and you start talking about that person and they're not around and everybody kind of piles on a little bit and sometimes it's just little comments that you make. To live this way means that you don't pile on. It means that you actually kind of withdraw from that conversation or even maybe you try and put a stop to it. And let me tell you, if you do that, 
if you don't pile on, if you kind of refuse to, to, to talk, tear down someone behind their back in that context, people will look at you and they're going to be like, man, what's wrong with you? Like, no, like, this is how it works. That person's annoying. We talk about them behind their back. And if you live differently, people will notice. Because this isn't how the world works. And yet this is what Jesus calls us to do. And he says, as you live this way, it gives evidence to the fact that you have a relationship with God. Jesus in the Gospel of John put it this way. You want to know how people will know you are my disciples? You want to know how people will know you are my disciples? They'll know you by how you love one another. Like, he just kind of lays it out there. He's like, listen, like, the way that you love other people is a direct reflection on your relationship with God. Your, your loving capacity is given to you by the love that you have from God, and now you reflect that to other people even when they don't deserve it, especially when they don't deserve it. That's what he says. That's what he says. And, and I got to say this, uh, sometimes we overcomplicate what it means to follow Jesus. Sometimes we make it very complicated and very intricate. Here's, if I can just really boil it down to this, to follow Jesus at the core is really this, that we take his word seriously. That we take his, his words to us as weighty, as the most important, as the most influential thing in our life. And we hear his words, and then we seek to do it. It's like at the end of the day, that's what it means to be a Christian, to, to listen to Jesus, to give it importance and the highest status in our life and say, no, I'm going to try and do it. I'm going to try and do what you're calling me to do. That's what it means to follow him. Back, back to, to Matthew 5. So Jesus says this is the effect that it's going to have, and then he goes into the back end of verse 45. He says, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So why is this kind of radical love and kindness and generosity to undeserving people, why is this evidence of you having a relationship with God? It's because this is how God works. <laughs> it's because this is how our God, who our God is. That's Jesus' point. And he uses this really simple example. Listen, the sun that rises every morning the rain that comes down to, to feed the crops and to grow the, the organisms that are around. God does it. He doesn't like look at different cities and like, well, they're following me better than this city. So I'm going to give them a little bit more sun, a little bit more rain. You know, he doesn't work like that. He says, listen, no, you're my people. You're my creation. I'm going to care for you again and again, even when you don't deserve it. That is who our God is, and that's the point Jesus is making, is that if we are following this God, it only makes sense that we pattern our lives after how he is. A generous and kind and gracious God to even the most undeserving of people. You know, you think about the scriptures. You think about the long line of, of the scriptures, and, and what you see is this. You see a lot of people who don't deserve God's graciousness and kindness and love, and yet he gives it to them anyway. Like, that's the story of the Bible. We screw it up. We continue to screw it up. Yet God still loves us. He still forgives us. Think about Abraham. We hold him up as a model of faith Listen, he, he had some good moments, but he also had some really bad moments. And yet God kept his promise and was faithful to him. 
Think about David. Again, some shining moments, but then some really, really low moments. Yet God was faithful to him. Think about Jesus' disciples, his closest friends. They were not the sharpest tools in the shed, to put it lightly. If you read through the Gospels, they are not doing the smartest of things. They just are thick-headed. They don't get what's going on, and yet Jesus is, is patient and faithful and walks with them. You know, as I was reflecting on this, these verses, and I was just letting them hit me, just listening to Jesus, uh, the phrase that kept coming to my mind um, was the patience of God. God is so patient with us. I know he's so patient with me. And the verse that comes to mind is from Exodus 34, and it says this, and some of you may be familiar with it, the Lord is a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Steadfast love was the Old Testament way of saying grace. God is patient and he's full of grace. That is who our God is. Then look at verse 46, back to Jesus in Matthew 5. Jesus continues, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And here's what Jesus is saying. Jesus is highlighting this. Listen, there's two different ways to live in this world. There's two different ways to live relationally in this world. You can live like transactional relationships. And that's how most of our relationships are. What have you done for me lately? You do this for me, then I'm going to respond to you. You know, someone gives you a gift or someone does something for you. Like, how many of us, when you receive a gift from someone, your immediate thought is like, oh shoot, now i got to get them something. That's a transactional way of living. That's a transactional relationship. You do this for me, I'm going to do this for you. You don't do this for me, I'm not going to do this for you. Or you harm me in this way, I'm going to harm you. I'm going to, I'm going to try and do that thing where, an, you know, uh, I'm not a science person, so all the teachers in here, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, you know, physics, you know, eat, you know all the force, you know, one force goes this way. I'm totally butchering it. You understand the point I'm making. You have a force going one way, there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction. I eventually got there. Eventually got there. But you understood the point I was making. That's all that matters. And Jesus says, listen, that's not how I call you to live. I call you to live a grace-oriented relationship. A relationship that gives kindness and, and forgiveness and mercy and blessing to people who don't deserve it. Especially to those people. And so Jesus summarizes it with this last verse of saying, listen, this is how the world works and this is how I'm calling you to work, to, to be different, to stand out. And it's going to be weird. It's going to be awkward. You're going to feel uncomfortable because people are going to start to ask you questions. Why are you doing that? It might actually cost you friendships. Because sometimes, and I know this, some people, they love to pile on to another person. And when they see someone else choosing a different way, choosing not to pile on, that inside of them, they get uncomfortable with it because they realize that, man, I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing, but I really want to keep doing it. And so they, they distance themselves from you. It might cost you something to live this way. But as followers of Jesus, that's the call, is to live in this grace-oriented way, not transactionally. Now, I want to kind of hone this in and really just give you four super simple, like, practical things, because right now we've been kind of up here with Jesus' words, and it's still kind of vague, but I want to give you some practical things, like Wednesday, 
what's it going to look like for you to love your enemies? And you may not think, I don't have any enemies. We all do, we, frenemies, you know, whatever you want to call it, but that person at your work that knows how to push your buttons, that person in your family, that coworker, whoever it is, we all have those people that we really are like, man, I really don't like them, but I have to do life with them. So how do I love them? Four super like, practical things. Uh, one, realizing this, that loving those people is primarily not a feeling. It is primarily an action. It's not forcing you to change your feelings about that person, but it's changing how you act, how you respond to that person. That's what it means to love them. Uh, Betsy Hart uh, wrote a book on parenting, and, and she says this, and I think it's, it's gold. She says this, To love should not mean just to feel. It really means to act, to do right by someone, to help someone, to be committed to the object of our love, regardless of how we are feeling in that moment. To love someone is to say, I'm going I'm to be kind to you, I'm going to be generous to you, I'm going to share God's blessing with you despite my feelings. That's how we love our enemies well. Second thing is this, we give dignity and worth to our enemies. That may not seem like a big deal, because that's like an internal thing. You just saying to yourself, you know what, I'm going to remember that they are a child of God. They are created in the image of God. But here's what that does. When you remind yourself that when you go into the office tomorrow morning or when you get that phone call from that person who you were dreading talking to and you remind yourself, this person is created in the image of God. What that does is it creates empathy in you. It creates empathy. It creates that that level of groundedness in you that you're able to now respond to them from that place. That's what we do, is we remember that they have dignity and worth as a creation of God. Thirdly, think about this. uh, The words that you say to someone and the words that you say about someone. And, And I would say this. Ask yourself this question before you say something to someone who you were annoyed with or who you want to lash out to, or you maybe you're talking about someone. Ask yourself this question. Is what I'm about to say helpful? Is what I'm about to say helpful? If I say this, will it, will it diffuse the situation? Will it, will it bring peace into the situation? Maybe they don't receive that peace, but that's on them. But are you seeking to do that, or are you going to put gasoline on the fire? Is it helpful? Ask yourself that question with the words you say. And then lastly, and this is big, loving other people, especially those who don't deserve it, is all about what we choose not to do. It's all about what we choose not to do. Because listen, we could do a whole lot of things to people who have wronged us, to people who have hurt us. And you would probably be justified in doing it. But here's what I would say to you. What if we chose not to retaliate? What if we chose not to to lash out? And we withhold it and, and we absorbed it on ourselves. There's some pain, there's some cost in that because we're absorbing it on ourselves. but we're loving that person by giving them not what they deserve. Jesus, to, to go back to him now, he ends this section, this kind of verses, he ends this section by saying this powerful phrase and he says, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Which I want to say to you, I like for much of my life, I read that and I just skim right past it. I'm like, okay, cool. All right, what's next? 
But I really want us to hear what Jesus is saying and let the weight of it hit us and just sit in it. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Here's what he's saying. This call of of radical love and, and kindness and generosity to undeserving people in our life, it's not optional. He doesn't give us, like, exception clauses. Live this way unless. Do this, well, unless this happened. He doesn't give it. He just lays it out there and says, this is the call. This is the command. Live this way. Be this hospitable and generous and kind and loving and gracious person to even the most undeserving people. That's the call. It is not optional. Here's what I know about me. And because I know it's about me, I'm pretty sure I know it about you too. That doesn't seem possible. That doesn't seem possible. Sure, sometimes, on a good day, but every day, all the time, in the heat of the moment, it's not possible. And that's the point Jesus is making. That's the point. See, the point that Jesus is making is this, is that that call is not optional, and we need to realize that when we cut someone down, even if they, they deserve it, when we neglect someone's needs, when we withhold goodness and graciousness and kindness from them, when we do something to, to bring them down in any way, what we're doing is we're demeaning a child of God. We are tearing down someone who is a son, who is a daughter of God. And as any good, loving parent, God doesn't like it when that happens. It's his children. He loves them dearly, and we are cutting them down. We are demeaning them. We are giving them an unworthy status. And by doing that, here's what we do. We cut ourselves off from God because we are refusing to love his kids. We make ourselves, by our actions and our words and our thoughts, enemies of God. That's what we do. So here's the question. How does God treat his enemies? You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemy. Here's how Jesus treats his enemies. He loves them. He loves them. Even the most undeserving of people like you and like me, he loves them. And he gives them them grace and love and kindness and generosity. That's what he does. Romans 5 puts it this way, while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, while we were still slapping God in the face, Christ died for us. He gave himself up for us. He came into this world, this broken world that we, have, we continue to break and refuse to fix. He comes into it not to bring judgment, not to bring condemnation, but to take the sin and the brokenness that we have done and he takes it and he puts it on himself and he absorbs it on himself and he chooses to withhold what we deserve. He chooses to not give you and me what we deserve, but instead he gives us grace and love and forgiveness and generosity. That's what he gives us again and again. 
Here's the amazing thing about Jesus. He doesn't ask you to do what he won't first do for you. Jesus won't ask you to do what he first won't do for you. The call to love our enemies is still there. It's not optional. But God has loved his enemies, like you and like me, and he continues to love us again and again. And when you get that, that that love that God has for you is for you, that he loves you even though you, you were his enemy, even though we, we rebel against him still to this day, his love is still there. And when you get that, it changes you. And little by little, not perfectly, but little by little, we start to give that love and that kindness and that generosity to the unlovable people in our life. That's what happens. I'll end with this. Uh, probably one of the worst feelings that I think we can experience as people is betrayal. Uh, and betrayal, to kind of put it simply, is this. When you get treated by a friend like you're an enemy. To be betrayed is when a friend treats you like an enemy. Thank God that Jesus treats his enemies like friends. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Connection Church. We pray it was a blessing to you, and we hope to see you soon. For worship times and more information about Connection, go to cconline.church.